Welcome to Policy Vibe, a new podcast hosted by the Triangle Community Coalition that will help our members familiarize themselves with our local elected and community leaders while asking the tough questions regarding land use policy. We will bring together elected officials, municipal staff, community leaders, and real estate experts to discuss land use policy here in North Carolina's Triangle region. Each monthly show will feature a guest where your hosts, Jacob Rogers and Christina Ellis, will interview and have conversations about issues important to our industry and membership. We'll dive into the topics of housing, commercial, and industrial development, as well as the politics behind the policy. Join us as we get to know the individuals behind the elected title who set the policies which determine how the triangle will grow. These conversations will give the listener some insight into the triangle's leadership and what's to come. Hello, welcome to Policy Vibe, where we discuss leadership and land use policy here in North Carolina's Triangle region. I'm your host, Jacob Rogers. We have Christina Ellis with us. Christina, how are you? I'm good. Just trying to ride out this yucky weather. We haven't been able to get outside of the house much, so I feel like we're all going a little bit stir crazy. I'm ready for some warm weather. You just had some warm weather. Why don't you tell us about that, Jacob? I recently went to St. Lucia. I've never been. It was gorgeous. There was no one there, which was super nice as well. Did you do any excursions or anything like that? Got a boat. Kind of toured. Uh, Why are you acting like you don't want to talk about this, Jacob? <laughs> <laughs> You're afraid that all the listeners are going to be jealous and judging you? That's probably right. <laughs> but it was a good time. And it was just me and a buddy of mine. And we actually sailed to the north end of the island. Took all day. Snorkeled. Saw these gorgeous mountains. I've never been there. Never heard of it before, actually, before I went. Nice. And I'm super glad because before we were thinking... Should we, is this a good time to do this? Mm-hmm. And the answer was really no. Talked to my doctor. Doctors, I went to Turks and Caicos a couple of months ago, and we felt fine with the social distancing. And yeah, there was no one on the plane, and we experienced the same thing. There was hardly anybody on the plane. The resort was like ten percent of the capacity. I think I only saw the same couples three or four times. Uh, had a great time. That's gotta be so nice. I can't wait till my kids are old enough to do that. Right now, I'd take them and it'd just be like. Why am I even here? <laughs> I can't well, there, any there, there, was, there was like the, a, a kids park there where you can you had uh, slides and uh, pools and stuff for the kids. But I only saw two couples with children that were probably two or four years old. So nice. They they looked like they were having a good time. The kids have a good time. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody's. Let's be done with this distance learning and take my kids to Turks and Caicos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they are. We're not here to talk about vacation. We're here to talk about land use policy and to talk with a special guest. Yes, indeed. Our guest today is State Representative Aaron Perret from House District 37, that which represents Southern Wake County. Aaron, how are you? I'm great. It's good we're, to be here. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. We're looking forward to getting to know you and your leadership style and what you bring to the state house. Doing a little bit of background or research on you. I looked at your website. We've tried to uh, pull up all the dirt that that everyone else uh-uh. did on you. And learned a little bit about you. We're more interested in get to get to dive a little deeper on who is Aaron Perret. How'd you get to North Carolina? And, and I saw that you're from Virginia, Herndon. Tell us about what it was like growing up there. Thank you. So I grew up in Herndon, Virginia, like you said, Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia is, when we talk about growth, which I'm sure we'll get to. I grew up in the Herndon Reston area when there was farmland up there. And I don't know if you've been up there recently, but right. that is, it is not like that anymore. So for Northern Virginia is an example of fast growth, a suburb of Washington, D.C. And so that's 
almost every time I go back home, there's another skyscraper built and another highway. And it's very different from what it what it was before. And just from that rapid growth from people moving to the city, sometimes I feel like this area is Northern Virginia, maybe 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. But my father was in the Department of Defense. He was an um, aerospace engineer and my mom was a seamstress. And I have two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. And I went to college at George Mason University. I got my master's degree in international commerce and policy and a bachelor's in basically political science, government, and international politics. So after grad school, I worked in government affairs, was representing the business community and primarily on regulatory reform up on Capitol Hill in D.C. So I did that for about eight years, and then I met my husband. And at the time, he was an infantry officer in the Army and an Army Ranger. And so as many military spouses do, we put our careers on the back burner. I was going places. I was really on this fast track. It was, I was having a great time with my career and then it all stopped when I got married. (laughs) I became a military spouse back then. It was the war. I actually started at Fort Bragg at 82nd Airborne. We traveled all over the place and then we ended up back at uh, Fort Bragg, but with JSOC. When I left Washington, D.C., we lived in Savannah, Georgia, and there was the 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment where Wayne was in command. And that was a pretty intense time, lots of deployments. And since Wayne was in command, I I was able to take a leadership position. And I was a family readiness group leader for 120 families during the war. It was all guys at the time. The guys, when they left pretty frequently or were training away from home. So it was intense on the families. And so that was a job within itself to manage kids and Everything, everything, nothing stops just because the guys are gone. <laughs> There's still Absolutely. kid problems. It was an intense time. It was some of the harder years of my life, I think, just moving so much and dealing with everything that comes along with war mm. it's on the family side. But it was also some of the best times of my life, just a lot of great families that are still we call best friends and almost like family. So very profoundly important years of my life. How did you get to the Triangle? Last TDY was Fort Bragg. Wayne was at JSOC, and so I, I kind of thought I wanted to get back into policy at some point, knowing that we were moving back to North Carolina and we would be in about an hour distance of Raleigh. We decided to set down roots in Southern Wake County. Wayne commuted for about three years, and then when we knew we would be retiring, we wanted to just open a small business and, and become part of the community. You probably know with little kids who travel so much and military kids, military brats, I guess they call them, when they get asked, where are you from? They don't know how to answer that question because they've been all over the place. So we really wanted to just stay put in one area and let them be in school and make friends and not have to move again. We decided to settle in Holly Springs. And then we retired from the military and we wanted to open a small business. So we own the Play It Again Sports Store in Holly Springs and we love it. We have about 11 employees, a team of 11 people, great people. We're having a good time with that and it's been great. But it also... Being part of the community is what really inspired me to run. I've been on the Board of Adjustment for the Town of Holly Springs, involved in the schools as a PTA president. I have my own little nonprofit, which is a music mm-hmm. stirring group for kids. And so I think just being in community, not other community nonprofits, and you get a finger on the pulse of what's going on with the people in Southern Wake County. That's what really inspired me to put those two parts together, the background in public policy and an interest in the community. And it just seemed like the right fit at the right time. I think that's what's fascinating here. One, you've got lots of education in policy and political science, and then you've got 
the work experience of government affairs in D.C. Tell us about that background. What did you learn in government affairs? And obviously, I've got an idea what you learned in the university studying this, (laughs) but in the real world of government affairs, what did you take away from that? Sure, I think a few things. I think from the way government works standpoint, I think just the obvious is everybody has an interest in something. Everybody wants to have something get done. Sometimes those conflict. So I think that's really important, especially as a leader, to be able to bring people together and listen to both sides. I think where we sometimes get into a tough spot is when we're unwilling to do that, sit down and really talk to each other, maybe because we're on two opposite sides of the political aisle or feel like nothing is going to happen or this person isn't going to work with me. I've been a part of those conversations over many years, trying to bring transparency to policy discussions, base it on some sort of fact and science, make sure that both sides understand each other and coming to a reasonable conclusion. I think you have to be willing to sit down and talk about difficult issues, sometimes emotional issues. And that's really the only way to make some progress is not the give or take of it, but just to, to be willing to listen to an opposing side and craft some policy that actually makes sense and benefits the people. And in that case, it was the country, but in this case, it was a policymaker or a legislator here in Southern Wake County. It's Southern Wake County in our state in North Carolina. Were you a lobbyist? Yes. So Registered lobbyist. So that, that <laughs> I think that gives you a different perspective than most folks, mm-hmm. in, at least in the General Assembly, specifically for freshmen, because I would say a seasoned legislator understands the value or purpose of lobbyists where they you can also learn what is important to an industry and what makes industry or, or commerce happen. Whereas I think, I think that there are also this concept that lobbyists are uh, the scum. We're, we're these... Uh, wow, that's what you were looking for. <laughs> well, isn't that what it is? Uh, everybody thinks that they have this, this th- thought of what lobbyists are, like, you know, greasing the palms of people. Man, this is a tough crowd. <laughs> they walk in, it's supposed to be a nice interview, and then we're talking about lobbyists. And then we nail you to the wall. <laughs> I am one, so I, I feel like I can relate here. I think to your point, I think that the term lobbyist does have some of a negative connotation. But I always tell people that every person has a right to petition their government, and right. I have to say that my time as a lobbyist. I got to see some of the bad actors, some of the good, honest people who really wanted to make a difference and truly believed in what they were lobbying for, advocating for. But I would have to agree with you. I think that the term lobbyist does have a little bit of a negative connotation. But up here on the state side, and just for as a short time that I've been there, the lobbyists that I've met are great people, and they really want to be a resource. That's right. And that's the difference, I think, between up in D.C. and down here at the state levels. And in D.C., a lot of the Lawmakers up there have giant staff or several staff members who can do a lot of the research and help them with these policy or these uh, issues, mm-hmm. understand the ins and outs. And But down here, we have an L.A. We have one L.A. And so I know that lobbyists that come into my office, they are so willing to be helpful and be a resource to me as I understand and learn, deeply learn about a lot of these new topics that that either I haven't been exposed to before in any depth or that I need to learn more about. So I appreciate that. Oftentimes they're the expert. I would think that you are sharing a research assistant. There is a shared, yes, with the class. Okay. Yes. With how many other legislators? We have a research assistant for the the freshman class. So I think our class is maybe 14. Okay. That might be a little high. Maybe 11 or between 11 and 14. And what's considered a freshman, I'm not sure. 
we've had a few that were appointed during the last sessions. So I don't, I'm not sure if they're included in that number or not. Yeah. I, I would assume they are though. If it's their first, first time, yeah, I, I think, would think so. maybe technically so, then they're still fresh. Is the speaker pro tem like the, is she the Sarah Stevens? Right? Yeah. She's wonderful. I love, I love, she's she's great one of my lady. favorite legislators. She's the leader. Mm-hmm. Is she the leader? She is. Quote unquote of the freshman mm-hmm. caucus. Yes. I would say that she is a leader of the freshman class. She's, yeah. she's very helpful to all of us. We had mm-hmm. her at an annual meeting, her and Lieutenant Governor at the time, Dan Forrest, at our annual meeting a couple of years ago or so, and she was explaining what the job of the Speaker Pro Tem is, mm-hmm. which I don't, I certainly didn't know, and I'm sure that many of our attendees of that that event didn't know, but so that's one of the things I w- we like to bring out here is what is the purpose of a Speaker Pro Tem or a Speaker or uh, a majority leader, what does all this mean? So mm-hmm. that's why I ask. What has been like a surprising realization to you as you've started in this new position? A few things. Maybe I was expecting this, but it is just a lot of information all at once. Yeah. And so it's, it is, I love it. I feel like I was made for this and I'm enjoying every day, but it's a whole lot. They always say, it's going to seem like you're drinking out of a fire hose. And I would say it's you're drinking out of a fire hose. There's a lot of information, especially with what comes over from the Senate side. Sometimes it's a difficult issue or we're anticipating maybe some pretty serious debate on something like education, especially right now. I met with several people yesterday that there are some important things going on in North Carolina that I had no idea were happening, just that are important to other people that I wouldn't even read about a newspaper. And I'm interested in those, interested in learning more about it. But there's such a, a giant amount of information to take in at one time. I think that's challenging, but at the same time, it, it's exciting. I'm really having a good time getting to know my colleagues on my side of the aisle, but also my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. And I hope it continues <laughs> because yeah. they're really good people. And we may not agree on many things. We may agree on more than we think we will. We may not agree on anything. But I think from a personal standpoint, I've met some really first-rate people, and I look forward to learning from them how they feel about a certain issue and applying that to my decision-making process. So I think that's it's not as, at least right now, as, oh, you're on that side, we're on this side, we're never going to talk to each other, and we're just going to fight all the time. It's not necessarily like that. But I think that's important to have, in, not just in the legislature, but in any aspect of your life, Absolutely. is to be able to have those civil conversations with people about issues that matter. And that's what I intend to do. And I think, at least for now, I'm, I'm very hopeful that we can do that, because that's really how you come to good policy. Without bending to your values, you mm-hmm. want to stick up for what you believe in, but I think just having those open discussions really helps both sides learn where the other side is coming from. Well, I, th- I think this goes back to what your experience. You've got some experience in relationship building. That's what you're going to have to do. There's 120 House members. There's 50 Senate members. That's a lot of people. And then there's the staff of some of these folks. It's a lot. And then, and they play a part, most definitely. I would ask, who has been most helpful so far in, in the House, maybe any colleagues that you've had, to you, getting you acclimated, if you will? I would say leadership. That's the most interaction I've had. Mm-hmm. But I think the staff— So the of, leadership is Speaker Moore, Tim Moore. Mm-hmm. John Bell, Sarah Stevens. does majority leader. Right. Sarah Stevens is the, the House Speaker pro tem. And other members that have spent several terms there, they know— <laughs> To be honest, the challenging part is finding my way around the legislative building. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. I've gotten laws there a few times. There's two of them. Yeah. I the mean, there are two buildings. Yeah, the LOB where my office is, that's not so bad. The legislative building, I've had to just swallow it, my pride, a few times. But you know what? 
I, I need help. <laughs> Where is the ladies' room? Where is it? But, but I think the staff also of the General Assembly has been extraordinarily helpful. And they're very pleasant. And they don't mind taking a dumb question. Even just relationships with the Capitol Police, just where we get our lunch or anybody that's helping us with any administrative tasks. They're just excellent people who really want to be helpful. And those are relationships, even though the short time that I've been there, just a few weeks since we were sworn in, there's a lot of relationships and friendships already being built. In my time walking the halls of the General Assembly and talking to Democrat and Republican members, I'm very good friends with a former Democratic representative out of Orange County and hearing him tell stories of 15 years ago when he was in office and, and many of the same representatives who are still there now and, and hearing the banter that they would have, just jokes and, and what they, jokes that play on each other, but also how the, the friendships that came out of that, even across the aisle, I thought were fascinating because what we see on TV is that it's always button heads and sometimes there's uh, theatrics and House chamber and the Senate chamber sometimes, and then that's what the, the TV shows will pick up. But it's also, there's lots of relationships that are crossing out that everybody's there for the, the great interest of North Carolina. Doesn't matter which party you're on. I think every, all of you can probably agree to that. Oh, of course. Yes. And we're all human beings. We have our experience. Everybody has a unique experience they bring to this this role in the legislature. I would say mine is a policy background, but I've lived in a lot of places all around the country just because of being a military spouse. So I, I know what the needs are and for those communities, for small business owners. So I think everybody has their own unique perspective. And I think we all realize that. We might not agree all the time, might not agree very often, but I think that if we treat each other with respect, I think we can get a lot done and go places. It's interesting because I feel like even from an evolutionary perspective almost like your brain can only hold so much information and so in the gaps you have to make assumptions in order to complete your worldview with your constituents it's like they only know a part of the story and then they have to fill in the gaps where they don't know the question that i'm building to is how do you think you'll be able to go back to your to your base like the people who have voted for you and said you're going to stand for these things and maybe they are not happy with what's happening or they're like you're not you know doing enough of what we want you to do because they only have partial information so how do you communicate back to them what's really going on and how do you continue to build trust with the people who have voted for you? Wow. That's a, yeah, that's a very good question. First of all, I don't expect that to happen at all. I think everybody's <laughs> going to be totally thrilled with everything I do. I don't mean any of that in a negative yeah. way whatsoever. <laughs> Completely thrilled. <laughs> but, um, and they're going to follow every vote. <laughs> well, I think I have not left campaign mode. I have to be honest with you. I just, it's... But that's communication mode, too. My campaign was about communicating with the public. I knocked on so many doors. Mm. I really wanted to reach out to everybody that I could. So they knew what I was about and what I wanted to accomplish and where I stood on the issues. And I think that isn't going to stop. I still want to, in fact, this morning, I was just thinking about that. I said, I think I'm going to go knock on some doors. I want to keep knocking on doors and just tell them tell my constituents what I'm doing up there. We just put out our first newsletter from my office today that talked about all of the legislate, the two bills that we had passed, one I'm primary sponsor for this mm-hmm. week, and just keep that communication going on social media 
and some in the mail. How many times have we heard people say, I sent you up to Raleigh or I sent you to DC and then you, I never see you again. And that, that's one of my pet peeves from my representatives that I've had before. Mm-hmm. You have this job and then you take off and we never see you again. And that's just not acceptable in, in my view. So I think I'd rather spend more time here in the district, talking to people, talking to small business owners, workers, parents, then I would rather be in Raleigh. That's really the job is to represent the people here in Southern Wake County. So I think that's, that is the forefront of my mind all the time, even with the busy schedule like we have in Raleigh, making sure that most of my time is spent down here in Southern Wake County. And in our podcast studio here. Yeah. Right here. That's right. There you go. See? This so let's it. rewind a little bit. You uh, uh, are a primary sponsor on, I think it's HB4? Correct. Which I'd like I think we need to plug in on this. What what was that? You're a freshman representative, and within a week, you've already got something passed in the House. Tell us about it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, and I'm very proud of it. So this is a common-sense bill that passed almost unanimously out of the House. It's headed over to the Senate. We remember COVID-19 executive orders that shut down some small businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Some bars, private bars, were in part of that, and a lot of them were just battered. There's several in Southern Wake County and in one particular that I can think about that with the governor's restrictions where he allowed them to operate even at 30%, some of these smaller bars, they can't survive operating at 30%. So they're forced to shut down. They're forced to close. The problem is the timeline of having to pay ABC permit fee renewals. And if you're not in business, then you can't pay for it. Once the executive order allowed some of these bars to open at a certain capacity, the clock began for when they had to pay their their fees. And some just couldn't open with even a 30% or the restrictions that they were allowed to open. And so they just, they couldn't pay their fees. So they were, were shut down from having an ABC. You can't operate if you don't have an ABC permit. So what this bill would have done, what will do, hopefully it'll pass this and I, I believe it will, was wide bipartisan support, is to provide that flexibility where they have, the clock would now start at 90 days from the time they were allowed to completely open. COVID is totally over. Shutdowns are done. From that point on, once they're back in business fully, then that clock begins where it gives them proper time to be able to get back up and running and pay their fees. Good. That's good. I think that's a common sense bill, and it was very needed for our small businesses. Absolutely. I, I follow the, the Bars Association hearing some of these stories that these folks have across the state. Someone poured their life savings and their life's work into this business, and it's mm-hmm. they haven't been open for months. It's crushing. Right. And the stories have just been terrible. Being on the campaign trail during when all this was happening, talking to people, I'd get phone calls and just terrible stories about that. We own a small business and we save for years to be able to invest in it in inventory and find a place to put it and put, we invest in our entire life savings into our small business. We were one of the lucky ones. We actually were deemed essential. I think all small businesses are essential, <laughs> but we were deemed essential because we sold bicycles, a mode of transportation. And so, was, so we were allowed to stay open. And because of it, we didn't, take advantage of any PPP loans or anything. We just, we stayed open and we did our best. But if we couldn't do that, we would be crushed too. Different story. Oh, totally. And this is our livelihood. This is our future of our family. And, Absolutely. And we put so much into it, so much into it. So I completely understand where those small businesses are coming from and, and they really need help. And this is just one example of that. And this is a common sense. And I think everybody recognized that that's why it passed with such wide bipartisan support. I think there was one no vote. There was one no vote. Yep. Yeah. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Let, let's go into, I got a list of committees. You're on the appropriations, appropriations, general government, energy and public utilities, of which you're the vice chair. Mm-hmm. Interested to hear about that. <laughs> Homeland security, military and veter- veterans affairs, regulatory reform, which is like a love language to our members here at TCC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rules committee. I didn't know you had a background in regulatory reform. So that's really cool because legislation we want to be involved in is, is looking at regulation reform and saying, what can we do better and what should be updated? And so you've got some experience in that. Which one mm-hmm. of these are you most excited serving on? I know that when, whenever you were elected, you get to basically ask the, the speaker, <laughs> here's the mm-hmm. ones I want to be on. Uh, are all, did you list all of these or how did you get appointed to these? I didn't list all of them. I listed most of them, but I'm excited about all of them. Aside from committees, we also have working groups and we have caucuses. Some of the working groups that I'm on, education, K through 12, and then elections. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's just members talking to each other about some ideas that they have. And that's different from committee work. Right. But but there's a lot of interesting caucuses, too, that I'm, I'm part of. And we can maybe talk about some of those are still forming. But as far as committees, I have a background in reg reform and we can talk about a little bit of those issues if you want to. They're spread out. We had clients back then from a lot of different industries, and I worked deeply with some. But reg reform is what my background is. So I was really happy to be on that committee. You get to deal with a lot of different issues come through the reg reform committee. Talk to us about caucus. Tell us what caucus is and what which ones you're in part of. So the... Democrats, they have the Democrat caucus and Republican caucus, mm-hmm. and so that's a different thing. We meet every once in a while and just talk about issues that are they're coming up. But there's specific caucuses based on subject. Yesterday, one of my colleagues from down the hallway formed a mental health caucus. So that's just people who want to join the caucus. Sometimes it's bipartisan. Get together, and we discuss issues relating to mental health problems in the community to learn and to share experiences and thoughts and you take that back and you apply that to maybe some ideas that you might have as legis- for legislation or that you might connect some people that might have a, a, a similar interest. There's the Wine and Grape Caucus. I didn't join that one, but a lot of people Bad did. Choice. And- <laughs> <laughs> Your judgment is... <laughs> I thought... Am I supposed to be a good cop over here? I'm, just, I'm talking about her, Aaron's oh, judgment oh, here. Aaron's. I thought that was being mean. <laughs> so there's some interesting caucuses. And, and like I said, they're just getting going. So I think there's a, a bipartisan early education caucus that I hope to sign on to that one as well and just take part in those discussions and hear what some other members are thinking about and their experiences going on in their districts. I need you to take me back to Civics 101. So caucuses <laughs> are like you sit around and discuss and brainstorm thoughts and then committees actually are writing out things to propose or... Right, you go through proposed legislation and ask questions and work on how to make legislation better. Okay. So if, if she introduces a bill, I think the speaker will send it to various committees. Right. The committee chair mm-hmm. or chairpersons can decide whether to take those bills up or not. Got it. And depend, probably depending on leadership's direction as well. And then if it, it has to pass a vote through those committees, then it goes to the House floor. And move on. Yeah, sometimes several committees. Could be several, yeah. Mm-hmm. The more committees, the less likely it is to survive. <laughs> so if it's got like three committees, leadership probably doesn't like it, uh-huh. <laughs> I would imagine. And then it goes to the House floor. Mm-hmm. They all vote on it. And it goes to the Senate, goes through the same process. Correct? Mm-hmm. Right? That's correct. 
So Facebook. for all you listeners who didn't know, I'm on your side. Yeah. I'm here for you. Well, that, I think that's what's fascinating about HB4. I, obviously, that is a priority that was as soon as they banged the gavel in the first uh, session was like, we're going to move forward with something like that. So it's good to see. That's right. We also mm-hmm. passed our COVID bill yesterday, mm-hmm. which is federal funding mm-hmm. that came down for the right. And then that was put those dollars to, to work in North Carolina. And that was unanimous, level. right? Unanimous. That was unanimous in the House, yes. Mm-hmm. One more question about you personally. Where does your drive, your ambition come from? Why are you involved? I think my drive, and this comes from an early age, just from having great parents and grandparents and family members, probably because they were in the military, I would say that's part of it, is to serve my community, my country, and my state in a selfless way. I think selfless service, serving a cause greater than your own self-interest is very important. Just wanting to make a positive difference in people's lives really led me to this experience. So talking about that in your leadership roles, who are your role models when it comes to leaders? And how would you self-define your leadership characteristics? Like when, if you were to explain to yourself, like, I'm a leader because fill in the blank, like I do these things or I believe these things or these are my core values of leadership. Does that make sense? What is leadership? What is leadership? I should have just asked that simple (laughs) bullet pointed question. (laughs) I think leadership is wanting to listen more than you talk and listen, but put action behind that, that you're willing to not take credit for. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think good leaders quietly make a difference that benefits people. I think it's not about you. It's about other people. That's the kind of leader that I'd like to be in this position. And sometimes our, our political system isn't set up for that's that can easily happen because we have to run for office again. To be able to make that difference, you have to run for office. You have to say, hey, this is what I've done. This is what I've done for you. This is what I worked hard. So you have to put that out there. For example, there's an issue that I'm meeting with someone about next week that I have very, <clears throat> excuse me, serious reservations about. It's a constituent, but I'm going to meet with her anyway, and I want to hear what she has to say. So even though I'm going into it with this, probably not going to be with you on this, I do want to hear what they have to say. And maybe there is something I can do to help make a solution happen but I'm, I don't want to be the person going, and I did this for you, and this is because right. of me. I want it to be about helping people. So I think good leaders can do that. I think that they can make the difference that they set out to make, really be a good representative to people, work for people, and then not be the face of the solution. It's about other, the success of other people. I hope I said that. Well, good leaders okay. don't, don't have to get the credit. Yeah. You know, you define what the goal is, figure out resources to 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 make that happen and then if somebody else gets the credit that's fine because but we accomplished mm-hmm. the goal that's what i'm getting from that mm-hmm. what she said and i completely agree yeah like good leaders are good team players that's right yeah they're good le- they're good listeners and they're good yeah they're good team players i would i would agree with that what about any role model leaders what do you have any names that come to mind Gosh, I really have to think about it. And the political, you know what, I'm going to... Could be anything. Military could be any anyone in yeah. your life or, or maybe someone you hadn't met or anybody. I think 
When you first asked me that question, I think most people go to famous people that other people that are listening recognize, but I'm going to take it on a more personal level. And I think that I would say my mom and my dad, I know that's strange. Maybe you would say that if you're in fourth grade, (laughs) but I would do that because I think my mother, she was, my older sister is a special needs adult. She was born with hydrocephalus and she had a really hard time growing up. And so my mom was never a professional person outside of the home. She was a seamstress. And then she took care of, I have two sisters, the three of us at home. My dad was the one that was the breadwinner. But I think my mom is a very much that, that kind of leader. She, she, cared, she cares about people. She cares about people probably more deeply than anybody I know. And she's, she really works so hard to make life better for not just us, and my older sister, where that's a challenging situation, but just some people that she doesn't wouldn't necessarily call very, very good friends, but she cares about them because they're human beings. But she's not the one out there taking credit for all the work that she does. And sometimes the work dealing with a, a, a child with disabilities who's now an adult with disabilities who doesn't live independently, still lives with them. She's had to make a lot of sacrifices over the years with her own professional life or choices that maybe she otherwise wouldn't would have made that she didn't have the opportunity to make because she was dedicated to helping other people like my sister. She's made such a big difference in the lives of other people in not a flashy way. No one's going to go weak. She's no no one is setting her up besides me right now on a pedestal saying this is a great leader, but I think she really is just through wanting to help people and caring about other people and putting her own aspirations aside to do that and and I guess that in that same quality, I'd maybe lift up some of my fellow military spouses. They've done that. They've put their careers on back burners to support the mission when it was hard, when they had to move so much. But they were thrust into a leadership role that they didn't necessarily sign on to when they got married and had to leave behind some things that mattered to them in order to serve a, a purpose a little bit bigger than themselves. So I wouldn't maybe point out a former president or somebody that somebody else would, but everyday people that are heroes in their own right who really um, step up to a leadership role without knowing that, without even almost having the choice, but make those sacrifices to benefit other people. I, w- I would... I'd maybe highlight those today. Those kind of folks uh, affect our lives every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and sometimes we don't even know it. Until you don't, until they're not there. <laughs> then you think, wait a Absolutely. minute, I really relied on that person. They, they're not there anymore. Yeah. Very good answer. Oh, good. Am I doing well? <laughs> you passed doing great. that part <laughs> on to the next. Okay. How old are your children? Maddie is 13 and Cole's 10. How'd they describe you? How would my kids describe me? Yeah, it's a question I like asking is how your kids would describe okay. you. Okay. I don't know. I think that they would probably, I always say, I love you a whole lot. And my son would say that I'm a really good cuddler because I love snuggling with my kids. But they'd probably call me the boss. I would say the <laughs> boss, yeah. <laughs> and a good cook. I, th- I think they would call me a good the cook. Yeah. yeah, I like this. <laughs> the boss, of, maybe the boss of the house. All right. Yeah, I, I like it. That. Mom's in charge. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne's the boss too, but when it comes to the kitchen. One of the questions I've got, and I ask this of almost any state elected official we've had programs with, is the balance of economic development in this state. We are fortunate to live in the triangle one of the fastest growing markets in the country. I think the latest statistic is 
a hundred people move to the triangle a day. Uh, your uh, district is one of the fastest growing areas in Wake County, definitely the, the, in the triangle. How do we balance the needs of suburban, urban, and rural economic development? And in, in a state where we're vastly rural, you've got areas like Bertie County, that I mentioned earlier uh, before the show, that is in desperate need of some kind of economic activity. Uh, maybe even a McDonald's would be a big deal for something mm. like that. Whereas here we, oh, a business created five jobs. Oh, we hear that every day. Right. Now call us back when we hear 2,000 jobs. You know, yeah. if, some, mm. if another county in this state got that kind of activity, that would be life-changing mm. for that. Now that you're in a role that's going to be, you're going to in a position to vote on significant changes or very on various laws or even new ones or changes to economic development. What are your thoughts as going into this? Obviously you have your district and you're going to be voting in the best interest of your district, but you're also voting for the rest of North Carolina too. In ways. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the balance of economic development in this state? I think you're, you're absolutely right. Southern Wake County is very fast growing part of the state and especially the county here in Southern Wake. I think it's the fast, fastest growing portion of Wake County and it is, it is an issue on the minds of just policymakers, town council people, business people, the average person taking their kids to soccer when you're stuck in traffic and when trees go down to build another development over here and where's this, we need more capacity in the schools and so I think it's the top issue on the minds of my constituents. And the tentacles go out to so many other issues, taxes, education. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big issue. From the state perspective, I, one, one thought comes to mind, and that's connectivity via broadband. And I think that we really have done as a state some good work on that. And even just yesterday with mm-hmm. the passage of the, the, the COVID-19 bill, we solidified some more help for that extension of broadband service into rural North Carolina. And I think that's a big deal. It's a that big a deal. Big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so we take it for granted here, right? You know, there, there are counties that don't have high speed internet. Are there areas where there's, this is a hundred County state. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and if you go just out, you know, take a drive 45 minutes out any direction. And it's a different, it's a different, sometimes it can be a quite a different mm-hmm. picture than what, we're in a bubble of somewhat. That's right. I would say politically we are. I would say from an economic perspective, we definitely are. It's just fascinating that where North Carolina is today, right. uh, that that we're a state of 10 million people. We're one of the places where businesses want to be. You've got, whether it's Mecklenburg or Greensboro or Wake County or these areas that where, where it's coming from, but it's just, there's also more to the state than just these metropolitan areas and i'm wondering i I, when i meet with legislators i hear some of these rural concerns and they're like this isn't an this growth is not an issue and quite frankly i've heard these folks ought to be glad they're getting growth because in my area we're not and i so i've heard that so many times from legislators you know be be happy you're getting some activity because i'm working my ass off trying to get it happening here and i think it's almost it's this rural urban divide how is that going to play out and i also heard Former Representative Craig Horn out of uh, Union County. I don't know if you had a chance to meet him. I know Craig. Interesting guy. Mr. Education, he told me, he said, in 22, it's likely to have more urban legislators than rural legislators, given redistricting, which is going to happen. 
Mm. And what that means for the state going forward in a lot of these rural areas are like, they're a little worried about that if resources don't go to those areas. If we pile all the resources in more urban areas. It's, it's something that's always on, on my mind for whatever reason. I'm from a rural area, so I understand the needs of those of, of the people there. Also, but my job, I advocate <laughs> for businesses right here in the Triangle and for, and for, for economic activity here. Uh, but I also have a passion for these rural areas where I'm from. And I also believe that what's good for urban North Carolina is good for rural North Carolina. And what's good for rural North Carolina is good for urban North Carolina. Yeah. I mean, we're one state. I think everything that you just laid out is spot on. And I think there is a little bit of that rural urban divide. And I think even in our own freshman class there, I think we talk about that a lot of just about Southern Wake County and the needs of Southern Wake County. And then my colleague, Carl Gillespie, it takes him hours to drive up here and he's talking about telling me all about his cows and everything when he gets here. But, yeah. but I, I think that we have a good opportunity to address some of that. And really, it is an interesting sort of picture as you painted it. But I think, I think it's something that we need to keep working on and talking about and, and what the landscape is going to look like in two years. That'll be really interesting because of population growth in in the urban areas. I don't know what the numbers are yet from census data that's coming out, I think, in the summer. Is it coming summer? Yeah, but it, it'll be interesting to see just how much we've grown. I'd just be interested to see that. But it, it I don't know I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to look a, bit, a little bit different. I think you're right about that. So we'll, we'll have to see. How would you describe the culture of your district? The culture of my district. I would describe it as hardworking people who care about the future of their kids, of their business, of their family, of their pocketbook. I think that small business in Southern Wake County is the heart and soul of our area. I think that we have patriotic people in Southern Wake County. I think we have smart, hardworking people in Southern Wake. We have a little bit of a different landscape when you look at the Apex area, then you go over to the Willow Spring area, that sort of unincorporated area that extends over the Johnston County line. My parents uh, live over there. Okay. I love that area. <laughs> I love it over there. So I think, but I think what binds us together is we have a lot of folks who are concerned about the future. And I would just point out a few areas and that is the economy, education, public safety, and I'd say infrastructure and growth. Like they want it or they don't? I think that, I think you hear this term responsible growth a lot. And what exactly that means yeah. may be different to other people. I think that, Relative, right? yeah. so I, I think that they're from just my experience. I think there's a desire to retain and preserve the natural value of green space and trees and what Southern Wake County is and has been and historically been that um, move forward in a responsible way where we have that growth, but we don't lose our character. That's what I've been hearing from a lot of people. And that there's maybe a little bit of a variance in how people interpret that depending on where you live and, and your idea for the future. But I think most people want to see a balanced approach to growth, but they also want understand the value and prosperity and economic development. I think we have a very informed, smart, 
constituency in District 37 in Southern Wake. And I think people are watching what's happening pretty closely. And I think it's important for me as a leader to make sure I keep that finger on the pulse of what's going on in Southern Wake to keep in communication with folks. The condition of our roads, I hear about that a whole lot. Mm. The condition of our schools, of our education for our kids, people are forward looking. They want to make sure that their parents, aging parents, have the resources to be taken care of and their kids can thrive in education. They can have employment when they leave high school or college. They want them to achieve their dreams. And they want Southern Wake County to be a good place to live and work and raise a family. That is a quality that we all want, but it takes a combined effort of keeping our character, what makes Southern Wake County special, and planning responsibly for the future with all the growth that's coming here. Balanced approach. Yeah. It's, an it's actually discussion. You, you actually said several words with our, which are within our mission statement. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I swear I didn't look up that up beforehand. To promote land use policy that provides a balance among economic development, growth, the environment, community needs, advocating for private property rights. Mm-hmm. So balance is all, what it's all about. Yeah. Aaron, one last question for you. What are your priorities? You've got uh, two years on, in, in this term. What are your legislative priorities? What is something in two years you like, I hope to have get this done? There's several. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak broadly. Yeah. So I'm really concerned about educating education for our kids. I want to make sure that when you're a child who has come to an age, maybe that's early high school, who really, and I think this is a shared concern among a lot of my colleagues all over North Carolina. Some kids want to go to college. Some people may want to be an electrician. So I want to make sure that kids have those opportunities to learn, to be what they want to be and have those resources available to them. And that's investing in education in various forms so we can meet the needs of a growing economy, so we can train our kids so employers who come here can hire people locally and serve their needs and help their companies survive and grow and build and expand. So I'm on different levels of education. I think that education is extraordinarily important to me, and I think that we need to support education and choices for families. I'm a supporter of parents and opportunity to be able to choose the path for their kid that um, meets their child's needs. And maybe that's from being a mother myself and and having a sister who needed a little bit of a different path growing up. But I think that's very important. And that includes public school. So those options are important to me. So I'd like to support that. And I'm a fiscal conservative. So I always have my eye on proper government and efficient government so we can create jobs and people can make more money and businesses like mine and like others can grow and expand and thrive. And I think we need a proper role of government to do that. That's who I am. And so I look for smart regulatory environment for business and I want people to keep more of their hard-earned money. So I'm going to be really looking closely at how the state manages money, people's money, so we can be successful for the future. I support our our police officers. I want to make sure our communities are kept safe. And I am ready to really explore ways where we can get some help and proper management of our transportation system when we deal with rapid growth here in Southern Wake. I think that's extraordinarily important. And I'd like to do everything I can to, to make sure that, that 
that takes place. But there's so much, like what we talked about at the beginning of this program, there, is so, there are so many important issues, especially that I'm learning about right now that you know, I hear about it. I really want to, I want to, I want to take a lead on that. I want to be, I want to help those people. And there's just so many of them. And two years is a long time, but it's really not a no. long time. And so there's a lot of work to do in such a short period of time. And I hope that we can really come together and, and do some good things for the people. And maybe some of these not even so high profile issues. Some of these that matter to the day-to-day people that just get overlooked or people don't really pay much attention to them. Those are the majority of them. That's right. And yeah, I, I would, when I worked in um, Capitol Hill and I would talk to people about what I do and they would always bring up what was on, you know, the CNN and, I, and I'd say, yeah, but there's, you know, what I did today was this issue and I dealt with this issue and, and they're like, oh, I didn't even know that was going on. And I was like, yeah, it's going on. There's this. And so that's why I spent a lot of people are working on this. And so it's, there's a lot of work to do. I'm just really blessed to be in that position to be helpful. So how many bills can you file? Do House members get like what, 14 bills? One session. Is that what it is? It's like a max. Remember, there is it? a max. You're right. I thought it was 15, but you may be right. I have to go back and look. But you're probably right. It's four, 15 probably. But the Senate, they have unlimited. They can <laughs> introduce however many. Isn't that correct? <laughs> I think you're probably right about that. senators. In 19, there were 1,100 bills uh, oh. filed in the House and something like 500 in the Senate or less. It wasn't that many. It was fascinating. But anyway. Erin, it is a pleasure having you on our show today. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for inviting me. This was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> I know. When <laughs> I walked in, fun. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. No, but this is great. I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. Thank you. You knew the TCC folks could be any fun. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Anyway, thank you for being here. Christina, it was good seeing you. Mm-hmm. And everybody out there in listener land, thank you for being uh, with us on Policy Vibe. And until next time, we'll see you then. <laughs>